This show was made at Access Radio Taranaki with help from New Zealand On Air. To find more local content, go to our website, accessradiotaranaki.com. The following show may have some triggering themes. Listener discretion is advised. Good morning New Zealand and welcome to all my listeners at Access Radio Taranaki, Coast Access Radio, Radio Hawke's Bay, Arrow Radio Masterton and I'm your host Neville Wallace broadcasting from Hara for the next 30 minutes. Today I have four guests, Lance Burdett and Kelly Judkins, Philip Duncan, Barbara Kuriger and Jim Hopkins. Now let's get started. Now here is the second part of our interview from last week with Kelly Judkins, Lance Burdett and I discussing stress and how to cope. Yeah, that's that, that's that's true, uh, Neville. Look, but you know, I I listen to um, music at the moment, and I, I get inspired by different th- sorts of music, uh, and so I have no run, one genre, and it's of course for different times, um, but the music music resonates with people, so it can be positive and negative. Right, so um, Lincoln Park is one that resonates with me because I'm writing a, this book on anxiety and I'm going to be putting some quotes from their songs. So um, unfortunately, the lead singer uh, did end up taking his own life, as did a friend of his. Um, but the words of, of a man crying out for pain, with pain, uh, resonates in those songs for me, but in a good way now. Uh, I don't do it to feel morose, I do it to feel... Because when you listen to the words, they are extremely powerful. Um, and it's, for me, that's, so it depends on people and what works, right? But, yeah, suicide is pain. It's, you know, we've come a long way, Neville. Um, yeah. I remember years ago they said that uh, if a person takes their own life, uh, seven other people are affected by it. Well, Kelly, you tell me how many people turn up at a funeral for somebody who's taken their own life. Um, yeah, a number of weeks ago we did um, a funeral and and we had a packed hall. It wasn't yeah. seven people at all, um, you know, and, and have we come a long way? I, I think we have in a number of ways, but one I would like to hear your thoughts on, Lance, is the legislation surrounding media and the reporting of suicide to create awareness. Now, I know we'd have to do it in a very careful way. I worked in funeral service in Wellington where there were a number of copycat suicides back in the 90s through teenagers. But, you know, can we create more awareness through the media as well to promote more support than what we currently do? At the moment, we have a death that's been reported as not suspicious, it's been reported to the coroner. And then at the bottom of the article, you'll see, if you're feeling this, ring 0800, da-da, mm. lifeline, da-da-da. And it's always in the small print at the bottom. What can we do that's better? Um, well, that legislation in the, in the, around that, is, it's more for privacy than anything else. So I worked for the coroner um, in Auckland here yeah. for, for a while. Uh, it's done for those reasons, for privacy of the family, because there there was a shame about it years ago, and there was, uh, you know, um, I mean, Jim Anderton is, is, a, is he comes to mind when we talk about this stuff about um, in his time, and he 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 regrets, you know, being part of this thing of we've got to keep it suppressed. 
he realizes now that that's the wrong way of dealing with it. And Jim, you know, wonderful guy. Mm. Um, and he's, he's talked in the media about this. So I think the more awareness around this and the more of, oh, how sad. Yes, there are copycats, but I've, 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 I wrote, again, I, I studied it and did some research on, on copycats. Now, it can put the thoughts, and it can with kids uh, that are very susceptible, but it's more of a geographical thing than a personal thing, right? So um, there's, there's, the geographical one is the big one. And so you'll see clusters within geography and, and locations. It's not so much because that person was at that school or that. No, it's, the, it's, a, it's a wider picture, if that makes sense. So there's a lot going on in the community. So as a community, I think we need to do the opposite. We need to exactly what you say. Let's start removing some of these things. Uh, took their own life. Yeah. How about that? Right. You know, don't, right. don't say su successfully suicided. I mean, who came right. up with that? Yeah. Successful suicide. What a load of, you know, took their own That's life. That's such a paradox. <laughs> oh, what the? Yeah. Successfully? Yeah. Successfully completed suicide? What? I, I, look, I'm, <laughs> you can see me getting a little angry. I, I apologise. <laughs> I apologise. Both, both of you and the public uh, heard Bryce McKenzie from Groundswell explaining the other day how he had been blooming heck uh, that uh, he'd been talking to a Taranaki lad whose father committed suicide all because of unworkable regulations that have been placed on the farming and the farming community and I'd like to give you an outline of one of the regulations that farmers are up against now and that's the freshwater farm plan step one, farmer has to get a plan drawn up, that costs Step two, somebody has to certify the plan. That costs money too. The plan has to be audited. And I've seen figures that can cost anything up to 6000 to $15,000 a plan. I don't know whether that's for the three steps, but that's $11 million coming out of the farming community. And it all costs money. When dairy prices are down, our farmers are not subsidised like our European counterparts and they can't bump their prices up like retailers. Okay. <laughs> yeah, so it goes back to that whole um, uh, we don't have control, right? So we fear loss of control. And, and so that's where you'll find um, suicide most prevalent is where there is a fear of loss. Uh, and so it strikes exactly to the, what the research shows, Neville. Um, when, uh, I mean, farmers never have control of, they can only control what they can control, no yeah. control of the weather, no control of, of, of international, no market pricing, um, selling to, you have to sell here because, right? So all of that stuff, you lose control, and they're just losing more and more and more control. Uh, and for me, I'd like to see some of that control come back. And I, I, I would like to see in farming communities a bit more uh, of the, the federations and the associations to start coming out and start saying uh, we need to stop. And they, they did it very successfully uh, during this whole debate with, you know, with, with, with cows and the, and the effect on the environment. They do it very well there, the effect on the waterways. They're doing it very well. They're actually saying, well, you yeah. know, we're, we're planting. Are we doing this? Did you know that? No. Oh, well, look what we're doing. So stepping up and coming up and saying, but it really is a government thing. 
um, and governments are difficult to, to, to they don't stay, they look at dollars they don't look at, at, at so much the impact on the people in my opinion All they've right, got to think of consequences no well that's one of the problems I'm not going to get political Lance I'm looking at the time if you hand, have any handy tips that you could pass on to somebody I heard you explaining some to Jamie the other day whether they're worthwhile, I think they are. Yeah, um, so there's six things I want people to focus on when they're, when they're struggling. Um, the first one is connection, talking with others. So when we talk with people, four things happen. Number one, we're getting it out of our head. Now, if you keep things inside your head, uh, we start to catastrophize. We start to think negative, right? Because the, all the brain does is look back through our past memories, and 80% of those are negative. So when you talk with somebody you get it out of your head. Plus, you need to tell people how you feel. You express how you feel. This happened and I was annoyed. I was frustrated. I was angry. I was hurt. Uh, and so when you can talk about the emotion in a way that works for you, what it does, it reduces the mark in your memory. The third thing is we share experiences. And that's, when that happens, we get oxytocin. So talk. The second thing we do is we read about what we spoke about and what we can do about something. We read about what we can do, and the third thing is we write ourselves a plan with a pen on a piece of paper because that's how we're hardwired. Those are the first thing, things we must do when we've got things in our mind. The next three things we must do is go back to the very basics of food, shelter, sleep. Food, start eating foods high in serotonin. Foods, serotonin is a mood lifter. Plus, foods high in serotonin have magnesium in them, so it means you're going to get a better night's sleep. Then I want you to shelter... Do one thing each day at the end of the day that makes you feel safe and secure in your home, whether it's putting a book back in the bookshelf, whether it's changing a light bulb, squeaky door. Just do one small thing each night and keep doing it. And when you do that, you start to feel safe and secure because you're getting little hits of dopamine when you fix something. And the third thing is sleep. Now, for those that are watching, if they go to our website, WARN International, uh, they can access a free document. We send it back to them manually, warninternational.com, come down the front page, sleep tips, and there's it's the whole thing will put you to sleep, Neville. It's, it's about 25 pages long. <laughs> oh, <right. laughs> so if you do those six things, you're good to go. Can I just add one in there, Lance, and you talked about connecting, and it's it's a good one. While we spoke about the evils of, yeah. of a cell phone, it's one that I'd like to... Um, say as if you can't think where to connect to and it's a hint that my husband uses all the time is you you go on to your text messages and you have a look at what the top one two three four five texts you see and if those are more work related than they are family or friend related or if they're negative as opposed to positive, change those five texts. <laughs> I love it. And do it every day. I love it. And, <laughs> and also it just, just might be something that it promotes that feeling of connected to somebody somewhere along the way. Can I just say something there? Let me show you my text messages. Very quickly. Oh, they, are, yeah, they, no, are, they are all my family. That's all I hold in there. The only messages I have in my in my texts, I delete them all except for the, my family. I have instant contact without even thinking about it. Kelly, so thank you. That's a great yeah. one. I didn't yeah. even know I was doing it. 
Well, thank there you, you go. So, and it is. It's a real keep your balance. Well, thank Sorry, you, Lance Burnett and Kelly Judkins for your time today. Let's hope that we may have saved another life because I see this machine is telling me that I'm nearly out of time. So well done, everybody. Thank you. Yeah, thanks, Neville. Thanks. Lovely to meet you, Kelly. Good Lovely night. to meet you too, Lance. Thank you, Neville. Let's hear from Philip Duncan about a messy weather outlook for the rest of November. Well, good morning, Philip Duncan. How many people want to know the weather ahead but don't follow the weather patterns and do not do any planning? How do many of those do you find, Philip? We actually find quite a lot. Um, not the majority of people, but, but certainly, you know, with every single event, we always get a flurry of complaints because it doesn't work out exactly as they expect. And I'll give you a good example. The, the remnants of ex-cyclone Lola that came down a week or so ago, um, we said it's going to be slow moving. There's a big high pressure zone over the South Island. That means that as the low comes in, at some point the low will completely stop moving and all the rain and wind will just stop where it is. And so sometimes when you've got a situation like that, it can move around a bit. If it moves, then your rainfall totals will drop. If it stalls, your rainfall totals go up. It's a very simple equation. And yet we got lots of complaints from people saying, oh, you underestimated that. The rainfall was, you know, you said 100 millimetres, we got 200. And it's like that's exactly what I was saying would happen. And so that's a classic example of someone who just looked at a weather forecast but never understood why it was saying you might get 100 millimetres of rain. And if they had just watched my video, they would have known, yes, it's forecasting 100 millimetres, but you might get two or three times that amount if it stalls. And why might it stall? Because of these different reasons. And so any farmer that follows you know, my videos or just any kind of understanding of what is driving the weather forecast that you look at, it makes the forecast immeasurably more accurate. And so I'm trying to say to people, if it really, really matters to you that much, you have to read the fine print. And the fine print means going beyond just looking at the forecast on your phone. It means actually reading a story or watching a video about why it is going to rain and what sort of rain you're going to get or what sort of wind or temperatures or whatever it is. So, yes, to answer your question, yes, we do get people like that every week. So just to conclude with Philip, you're a man under pressure this morning. How do you see the remainder of our spring weather unfolding? Well, we've just issued our latest uh, update of Climate Watch, which is our seasonal outlook video, um, and we are seeing a more traditional setup on the way, but it is still messy. So November's going to see a mixture of high pressure and low pressure still, so we've got that variety, which is a good thing for us, but we are also seeing an increase in high pressure. So while uh, we will still get some rain, I think we may start to see perhaps more of a drying out phase, and it's hard for everyone to believe it, but I think we actually are already in it. But we've had some decent downpours around the place lately. People are optimistic. That's great. Um, we're going to going into summer in a very optimistic way. But I have to stress that Australia is having this you know very dry phase. Australians have been telling me for months that they are in El Nino, whereas New Zealanders. They're not quite so sure. And so I think if we just look at our neighbours and see how dry and how hot it is, and we look at our weather pattern, I think we should be very, very happy about where we're at and just be a little cautious about what is around the corner uh, because we are seeing some drying out now. 
despite the rain that we've just had. So I think we are in a pretty good month for November. Sets us up well for December, but also being slightly cautious about what El Nino will mean as we get into the hotter months of summer. Well, thank you, Philip Duncan. I'd better go and help Mrs. Neve get that bed stripped and get that washing on and get it out and get it out and get it dry. Thanks, Philip. Yeah, you got the nor'westers today. Perfect weather. I can see the downpours on the rain radar. It's one of those ones where you stick it out uh, and and take the risk. <laughs> Barbara and Lewis Courier have just celebrated 44 years of marriage and have wondered where those 44 years have gone. Good morning, Barbara Kruger. Yesterday was a special day, and congratulations. Perhaps you'd like to explain to the listeners. Oh, yeah, thanks, Neville. Yesterday was a special day. It was uh, Lewis and I had our 44th wedding anniversary. We're still looking at each other going, where does 44 years actually start to disappear to? Um, you know, we've got three awesome kids and six lovely grandkids now, and, and, it's, and that's great. But, you know, you look back and you go, my goodness, 44 years doesn't take very long. Go so um, and uh, so yeah, we had a great day. We actually had a morning tea with uh, some of my um, supporting people. Uh, we've been doing thank yous around the electorate, and um, so we started off with that. Went to um, one of the gardens in Leperton and the Taranaki Garden Festival, and um, it's just great to get out and about and see what people are doing. We um, we were sort of watching the weather yesterday and. Didn't quite venture too far, but thought as we're going past, we'll visit gardens if it's not raining. And um, it wasn't when we were in Leperton on the way back up to uh, Te Awamutu, and it, we actually had a great day. I commend these people that have got their gardens open. Some of them have done such amazing work. I uh, went to Stanley Garden last week um, in Inglewood, and, you know, just absolutely impeccable. It's great to see busloads of people turn up. In Taranaki, and you've got people doing various arts and crafts, and you know others come along and buy them, and it's just um, just a really lovely time. I think it's been a great week. I think everyone's, or well, most people, have got over the shock of the All Blacks last week. Um, I think um, probably wasn't so much the shock of the loss, but the discussions on the TMOs and stuff. I mean, there's various degrees of when I say people have got over it. Um, I'm not sure that it's going away anytime soon because those TMOs. I heard a game once that um, I was on the radio actually when South Africa uh, dished out the All Blacks' worst loss that they'd actually ever had. And the first 40 minutes took an hour. And I go along to a King Country rugby game. We've got this amazing young woman referee who just runs down around the paddock, makes a decision, gets on with it. We have a game that takes 80 minutes. We get a score at the end of it, and everybody's um, happy. And I just think these TMOs have, like, taken over the game, and really we could just get on with life, I think, if we didn't have them. Um, yeah, I've actually had... Um, Really interesting week. Uh, still working our way round while um, coalition discussions are going on. But I've um, I've been to Parongia School and I've got a couple more visits coming up. Where a group called Trees for Survival go into the schools and uh, provide uh, small trees and uh, a nice sort of um, display. Uh, a wagon thing to put them in where they can water them, look after them um, grow them and when they get to a certain height uh, they take them out and they plant them on a farm 
And so we've got various schools. I understand there's about a dozen schools around this area participating uh, in this. Um, and there's some in Taranaki as well. I'm up in Te Aumuru at the moment. Uh, it's great to see kids growing plants for farmers to plant on, the, on their farms and um, go out and help them plant it. I think that's an ideal way to operate, doing something to help the environment and help the farming neighbours at the same time. I also went out to Extreme Zero Waste in Raglan. I love going out there and I hadn't been out there for a little while um, to visit them at Extreme Zero but it's a place where uh, it's there's a little bit of rubbish gets taken out of there, but largely about 80% of it gets reused, repurposed, recycled. They've got a fantastic big composting machine there. Uh, they sell off the compost, so that deals with the food waste. Uh, but they have um, they have bikes for sale, uh, books for sale, clothes for sale. They um, they really buff up the old furniture that comes in and give it a good um, clean up and um, you know restore it. Uh, so restores the other thing they do out there, um, just like a shopping mall actually, where people can pass on what they don't need anymore, um, cost effectively and nicely um, to put it up for sale for people who do. So it's um, it's a pretty cool arrangement, and I do um, absolutely love. Uh, going out there, so uh, always a great visit. Um, yeah, so today we're off to Parongia again, uh, the Restoration Society uh, for what they call Mount Parongia. It's not quite as big as uh, Taranaki, but it's a reasonable size um, uh, hill up here in um, the Waikato, uh, having the 25th birthday of their uh, Restoration Society, so they've been doing a lot of work up there um, getting rid of pests, uh, restoring the environment, uh, making it a beautiful place to visit, and it is. Uh, so looking forward to um, being out there, um, appreciate the work that's been going on. I think we're going to have a nice lunch together, and then we're going to go for a walk uh, to witness some of the work. So that'll be um, that'll be pretty cool. So, yeah, I've just um, really been enjoying the last couple of weeks, just um, being able to go out and say thank yous in the electorate. You always feel like you're asking for something when you're a politician and elections are coming up. Really nice to be on the other side, to be able to go out and say thank you to everybody and just uh, enjoy what's going on in society. So that's it from me this week, Neville. Thank you. Well done, Barbara. Jim Hopkins has an interesting point of view as to how our next government will carry out their governance. Well, good evening, Mr Hopkins. We're back in limbo land again. We still haven't got a government, but we know who it's going to be and what they're going to do. What's your thoughts on this one, Jim? Well, I don't know. I mean, do we know who's going to be? I mean, suppose I have heard various optimistic, desperate people on the uh, left say that if Chris Hipkins resigned from his position as leader of the Labour Party, perhaps a new leader could then say to Winston, oh, we're a totally new party, come along, join <laughs> us after all. But, I, but one would imagine that um, whatever residual currency the man has left, Winston, I mean, um, it would be squandered by such a move. So, yes, I think we're going to have a three-party uh, government. Um, uh, and it will be... Look, it does seem to me um, that, that uh, uh, the media won't give Lux some credit for this. No. Uh, because they just don't like him. And remember, as I've said to you on numerous occasions, 85% of our journalists self-identify as left of centre. 
self-identify. Those are the people who've done the Massey University journalism uh, survey, as which occurred, and the results of which were published earlier this year. And you and I have discussed this in the past. Yeah. So they're going to spend three years, um, you know, snapping at the heels of the of the new government um, on a self righteous basis. Uh, and, and, and so they won't and haven't given credit, Lux and credit, but it does seem to me that whatever he's been doing behind the scenes, he's managed to get. Um, a fresh approach from Winston and a willingness from Winston to kind of A, do things reasonably quickly and do, B, do things reasonably privately and discreetly. And C, he seems to have engineered um, at least, uh, well, he's obviously had sufficient contact and conversation with ACT to ensure that David Seymour doesn't split the dummy and throw his toys out of the cot. I mean, my own view as far as the new government's concerned is um, uh, the key thing, uh, what I will be looking to see, partly because I think he's probably the most um, uh, habitual underachiever in New Zealand politics. I mean, if you want to name somebody who's been a cro- who's, who's chronically failed to deliver commitments, it would be Winston Peters. I mean, all of the things he's um, talked up a storm about in election campaigns, if you look at them, um, what's he actually done when he's been in government and had, had the um, ability to, to, to influence? The answer is very little. So the question is, what will he want? Is he going to sweep co-governance off the table? Is he going to back a government, a parliamentary bill defining what the principles of the treaty are, ending that fatuous debate forever? Is he going to argue that somebody like, say, Shane, Shane Jones should be Minister of Maori Affairs? Or is he just going to want to be foreign, Minister of Foreign Affairs and have a provincial growth fund back? You know? Um, yeah. So what will Winston want? WWWW. Um, I think it's a key... Uh, it will have a key influence on the incoming government. I mean, is he going to sort of insist on national rolling back, increasing the super age to 67? Possibly. Is he going to... Um, push for the postponement of the tax cuts, I doubt it. I don't think he's got the influence. Um, but, yeah, what will Winston want? Um, he's not the kingmaker because, essentially, the moment he said, I'm not going into partnership with Labour, and the moment Labour later said, oh, and we're not going into partnership with Winston, um, he said, both of them essentially... Uh, uh, cut off an option that, they, that was previously available to them. And and for either of them to do a U-turn on that now, I think, would be astonishingly damaging to, uh, to both. both in the to end. To both, yes. Um, so, I mean, yeah, I, th- I think um, we're going to have a government, and I hope, my own view is I personally hope Christopher Luxon is willing to fight the culture wars because, in my view, they're there to be won. And the new... Uh, Conservative Party leader in Canada is doing enormously well, better than any other centre-right leader in the in the Western world, well, other than some in Europe, uh, by by challenging, you know, the woke folk and saying, back off, you know, we, we're not going to kowtow to your uh, um, uh, online bullying and social media 
pile-ups or pile-ins. So, I mean, my view is that. The other thing I would say about the new government is um, I think they owe a huge debt to provincial New Zealand. And I think um, my own view is National is actually on a bound to keep its word to farmers and, and by extension, to all the people in provincial New Zealand who, are, who benefit financially from successful farming. I mean, we had uh, uh, one of the oh, uh, an economist. I won't, I won't, um, I won't say who, but this guy came through and talked to um, people here in in Omaru, Waitaki last week, and and the the stats that they had gathered indicated that because of the cuts in dairy in um, dairy sales and all of the other on-farm costs, massive increases in legislative and, and farm servicing costs, there was basically going to be $110 million less in the local economy than there was going to be, there had been the previous year. Well, that's a massive uh, kick in the guts for an awful lot of people who aren't farming, but whose um, standard of living depends to a significant extent on farming. And my view is um, National will essentially lose the next election in before Christmas if it doesn't keep its word to farmers and provincial New Zealand. That's my view. Well, that's and well frankly, I'll, I'll, I'll happily spend three years saying they deserve to lose if they don't keep their word to farmers well, and provincial well, New Zealand. Mr. Hopkins, thank you for that contribution. Very interesting. We've run out of time. Well, that's my lot for today. Remember where to tune in next week and we'll talk to you again. Kaikiti and all. This show was made at Access Radio Taranaki with help from New Zealand On Air. To find more local content, go to our website, accessradiotaranaki.com.